It has been a blessing to be with you guys this weekend. Um, I've loved to get to see God move and just be a part of what he's doing already in your district. And I, I just want to say thank you to your, your staff and your leadership. And I just want you guys to understand, you guys are, you guys are so blessed. I mean, the directors and the staff team that you guys have, just the, the way that they love the Lord, the way that they're pursuing the things of God. Um, I just want you to know that, that uh, it, is not, it is not that common. And so you need to, just I think someone said it up here earlier this weekend about praying for your staff. These people have laid it all down on the line. They've given, they've given it over to the Lord to see you guys ripped out of hell and set onto the eternal foundation of Jesus Christ. Come on. And, there's, and these guys are doing it. They're the real deal. They love Jesus more than anything and anyone. And uh, I've just been blessed to be in their presence and be with you guys this weekend. So thank you for inviting me. It's been it's been awesome. And I just let me just say this that that this this weekend, um, man, is is just one of those moments, right, where you get alone with God and you get to see what God does. But it needs to propel you forward into the semester, right? These things that have started to take place in your life and the things and the encounters, they're they're to propel you forward into the journey. To help bring more people along with you on this journey. That you would be set apart and holy. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Is that, okay, we look at what it looks like to get out of the pit, out of the circumstances, and get before God. To be fighters, to confess before God and before others. To have raw, real relationship with God and with one another. We, we, we talked about last night about perseverance. Man, we need a generation that will fight. Roll up your sleeves and go after it. That, that no matter what comes your way, no matter what comes against you, that you will be men and women that are going to roll up your sleeves and I'm coming after God no matter what and I'm not giving up, I'm not laying down, I'm not bowing down in the name of Jesus, right? This is what God, I mean, God is so worthy of that, amen? amen. And so that we would be people of perseverance. But we'd also position ourselves. And, and, and maybe I didn't make this clear last night, I was thinking about this this morning, is that everything is clamoring for your attention and your affection. And so you have to be purposeful to position yourself in a place to encounter God. And I, I believe that with all my heart, that you need to get violent with your schedule. Come on, fight for this. Fight for time for Jesus. Fight for time with Jesus. Alone time with Jesus. And, and listen, when I, was, when I got saved, um, I remember I would never, and, and this is just me, right? I would never miss a gathering of believers. I didn't miss a prayer meeting. I didn't miss a Bible study. I didn't miss a large group. I didn't care what test was coming the next day. I didn't care because I was going to put Jesus first in my life. You know what I'm saying? Because I knew Jesus knew chemistry. And so I believe that if I put him first, do you know that after I started to do that, that I became an academic All-American? It was the year that I gave my life to Jesus and I put him first. That and I spent less time now, I'm not saying that don't study. What I'm saying is the less time, the time of more to, to the things of God. And I see in a generation right now where we're so quick to not worship Jesus because we have a chemistry exam or organic chemistry or, or this engineering class or this engineering class, whatever it is. And I'm just telling you, I, trust me, there is a God who if we put him first and foremost, even above our studies, he is able to equip you. Right? Now, I also think that there's a, an idolatry of the academic side, right? And when we start to worship the academics, it's, it's 
still idolatry and we're putting it before God. So I'm going to pray and we're going to dive in. Okay? Jesus, actually, what I'd like you guys to do this morning is on the count of three, I just want you to, to, to yell as loud as you can in the name of Jesus. Okay? Okay? I mean, as loud as you can. So the person next to you, but the person next to you might need to be woken up. Okay? So on the count of three. And one, two, three. Alright, Jesus, we're here for you. God, we, we want to meet with you here this morning. God, you're not done yet, and so God, we just give you our full attention and our focus on you, oh God. I pray, God, that those of us that need a Holy Spirit energy to focus, God, right now, that you would give it to us, because we want to hear and receive all that you have for us, God. And we believe that you're here. We believe you want to talk to us. You, we believe, God, there's still more to be done in our life. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. 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 Have you ever been to a concert and caught the opening act? Anybody? Ever been to the opening act? Okay. I want to share this quick story. My, my second year in Chi Alpha. So we were, we were just a small group of people pursuing the things of Jesus. I got a phone call from a band called Ascend the Hill. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that band, but Ascend the Hill calls me up and says, hey, we're touring and we're coming through Blacksburg. Could we, could we, could we have a little concert with, with your fellowship? And I thought, okay, well, I brought it to the staff team, and I said, hey, guys, what do you think? And they're like, send the hill. we got to bring them in. And so they start showing me their stuff. I'm like, they sounded pretty sweet, this solid worship team. And so I said, sure. And so it was planned out, you know, about a month out. And, and about two weeks before they got here, Jacob, the guy who, I believe his name was Jacob. I can't remember, really. But um, Jacob called me up. And said, hey, I, I, I should have told you this when we asked the book, but uh, I, have a, I have a band that's touring with us. And uh, he said, they're a little bit harder than we are. And, and I thought, oh, a little bit harder than he is. This guy, these guys are like worship, you know, worship music. I mean, okay, yeah, no problem, man. Bring them in. He said, their name is Holding On To Hope. I said, okay, yeah, no problem. I said, that sounds like another worship team. You know, Holding On To Hope, come on. And so... They get here, and you got to remember, this is the early stages of my ministry, right? And so, like, we don't have a lot of students. You know, we, we haven't hit the, the, even the 60 mark yet. You know, we're just, just 20, 30 students. And, and these guys come in. These guys come in, and they get up there. And I could just tell, like, from their setup and their, their, even the way they're dressed, I was a little worried, you know? And all of a sudden, man, they go off, and they're screamo. <laughs> And okay, I'm just telling you, like, I know some people are into the scream. Anybody into the scream? Okay, okay, praise the Lord. There is a place for that, okay? But it wasn't Blacksburg. <laughs> it wasn't Blacksburg. These guys are going nuts. I'm just screaming at the top of their lungs. I had to leave the building. I mean, the campus pastor had to walk out, right? So what I do is I stand out the back, and I'm just praying, Jesus, don't let anybody leave. Please, keep them in there. Keep them in there. Just, just let this be over. Let this be over. I'm praying. And people are walking out. And, and, and I'm like that guy, I'm like, wait, don't leave. The next band is so good. You don't want to leave. And there's people literally that never came back to Chi Alpha because of that one moment. Oh. Now, Send the Hill gets up there, and it's phenomenal. And they even just had this prophetic word for our ministry and everything. It was just such a powerful time. But what's interesting is I started trying to look into, after that moment, you start looking into, what is, what is the point of an opening act? Right? Because I'm not feeling that opening act really set the stage for the next day. You know what I'm saying? 
The opening action set, set the next day. So I had to go to the, our, our trusty Wikipedia to find out what uh, an opening act is supposed to be. So this is what Wikipedia says. It is an entertainment act, musical or for comedy or otherwise, that performs a concert before the featured act or the headliner. Rarely, an opening act may perform again at the end of the event or perform with the feature act after both have had set time to themselves. The opening act's performance serves to warm up the audience, <laughs> making it appropriately excited and enthusiastic for the headliner. Holding on to hope was an utter fail. <laughs> it was an utter fail, at least according to Wikipedia, right? So here's what I want us to understand. The opening act is to be a, a warm-up for what's to come. The opening act is supposed to get the the crowd excited and enthusiastic for what's to come. It is smaller than the headliner, and it knows it, and it accepts it. Can I just be honest with you? Are we, are we playing the opening act role for the return of Jesus? Are we warming up our campuses for the return of Jesus? Are we getting them excited? <coughs> enthusiastic for him to come. Do we recognize that we are smaller? And are we okay with that? For the king to come. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into wonderful life. It is so important for us to know the story that we are a part of. It is a story that has gone on from generation to generation to generation. It is a story of redemption, that God is redeeming a people back to himself. And when we said yes to Jesus, this is a story that we said yes to and we're a part of. And what we see throughout creation, what we see throughout time, is that God is preparing a people. And he will come back. We, we, when we read scripture, we see that, that he would take people, right? He would take people, that there is an everlasting lineage. And God even says there's an everlasting lineage that will come from the line of David. And God used Samuel to help prepare the way to be the, to be the opening act unto David and to release him. Right? We see John the Baptist gets on the scene and what he's the forerunner that comes to prepare the way for King Jesus. Can I just be honest with you today that you, as followers of Jesus, are to be the forerunner, to be the opening act, to prepare the way for the Lord's return. People are looking and, and watching and seeing, is there any difference between us and the world? Is there any difference? Should we really get excited about this Jesus returning? Will he even come back by the way that we're living? Do they even have a clue? This, these are all things that I think we need to understand and as we step into this. And I want us to talk about how we are all called. To be this forerunner, this, these people that are set apart unto God. To prepare the way of God's return. When we, we need to understand that we are in the last leg of the race. That the story is winding down. There's only one thing left to happen. And it's Christ's return. In God's story. And I, like Samuel and John the Baptist, God is raising up men and women. That will have a prophetic voice in this generation. Preparing the way of the Lord. But the question I have for you this morning is, will you say yes to that? Will you say yes to that? Will you say yes to being set apart unto God and set apart from the world? 
I don't want to look like the world. I want to be different. I want to be set apart unto God. Amen? Amen. And so let's take a look at what it looks like and how to become a Samuel. How to become a John the Baptist preparing the way this morning. Is that cool if we do that real quick? You guys still with me? Yeah. I feel like this guy is a little bit... I'm not yelling at you. I'm just excited and passionate, okay? That's good. So first of all, what I want to do is I just want to look at Samuel's life and, and, and compare it to John the Baptist. I don't know if we've ever done that before, but as I was looking at this, one thing that I found to be really interesting about them is that both their mothers were barren. That Elizabeth was barren. That Hannah was barren. And both of their lives were brought about through prayer. Let me tell you something. Can I just be honest with you? Come on. There's, there's a message in that in, it, in it of itself. That some, man, if we, again, just back to perseverance. Man, things that are valuable are worth persevering and pressing through in the place of prayer. You want to win something? You want to see something? You want to see revival? Then you better roll up your sleeves and get on your knees. You know what I'm saying? We, we all talk the talk of a great awakening and a, and, a, and a student revival, but nobody's getting up early enough and nobody's staying up late enough to spend time with Jesus, to seek his face for the strategy, to seek his face, to, to just rid ourselves of the world and get more of Jesus in us. We don't want to pay the price. Listen, I think their parents began to persevere in the place of prayer to see the lives of these ch- children born that made a difference in the world. Come on. And I, I, just, I just get excited about that thought. Come on, we can, we can be a part of this thing if we will. If we will fight for this. Both Samuel and John the Baptist are seen as people who bridge the gaps between different periods of, of time. Right? So Samuel, he bridges the gap between the time of the judges and the time of the kings. John the Baptist bridges the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is something that we, we need to see. John was truly a transitional figure linking the two Testaments together. As he prepared the people for Jesus. Both Samuel and John are used to identify the future king. Isn't that interesting? Samuel anoints David. John the Baptist points out, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he baptizes Jesus in water. Both Samuel and John are also lifelong Nazarites. There are three lifelong Nazarites in the Bible. Today I just want to focus on Samuel and John the Baptist. We see this that in 1 Samuel 1.11, no razor will touch his head, referring to this Nazarite vow. Luke 1.15, the angel says he must not drink strong drink. Here's what's really interesting about both of these guys. They're both long like Nazarites. There was a vow that was made on their life that they would not do certain things for their entire life, and not one of them was the one that chose that for themselves. Isn't that interesting? Right? Man, we don't want to be told what to do. (laughs) Who tells me I can't do that? What do you mean I can't cut my hair? What do you mean I can't eat grapes? Right? I mean, we're going to get into this a little bit, but but this this is our generation. What do you mean? What do you mean? I can't do this and I can't do that. We want to be able to do whatever we want to be able to do and we don't think about the consequences that it has on our life, especially in the spiritual realm. Let me get into it a little bit more before I go where I just wanted to go there. So let's dig into what a Nazarite vow is and how to live our life to be 
the opening act for Jesus' return. Amen? Guys, you ready? Come on. Number six. We're going to be in number six. Verse two through eight. This is what the word of the Lord says. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, if a man or woman wants to make a special vow, a vow of dedication to the Lord as a Nazarite, they must abstain from wine and other fermented drink and must not drink vinegar made from wine or, or other fermented drink. They must not drink grape juice or eat grapes or raisins. As long as they remain under the Nazarite vow, they must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, not even the seeds or skins. Verse 5. During the entire period of the Nazarite vow, no razor may be used on their head. They must be holy until the period of their dedication to the Lord is over. They must, not, they must let their hair grow long. Throughout the period of their dedication to the Lord, the Nazarite must not go near the, a dead body. Even if their own father or mother or brother or sister dies, they must not make themselves ceremonially unclean on the account of them. Because the symbol of their dedication to God is on their head. Throughout the period of their dedication, they are consecrated to the Lord. Again, as I already said, Hannah was the one that said, that, that said no razor will touch his head. She made the vow before God. She was not only going to give her son away that she was longing for, she also committed him to be a lifelong Nazarite before God, to be consecrated unto God his whole life. John the Baptist, the angel, shows up and tells Zechariah that he's going to be a Nazarite, that he will not drink strong drink. Again, referring to this, this vow right here. These, there were three restrictions that were involved. The first one, you would refrain from drinking or anything from the grave. This was the self-denial part of the vow. This was a self-denial part of the vow. Great products were seen as a blessing. Was, were seen as a blessing. These strange restrictions and customs had an inner significance. The abstinence from wine and strong drink typified that the Nazarite determined to avoid all sensual indulgence. Can I say that again? To avoid all sensual indulgence, which might cloud their mind and render the man unfit for prayer and the work of the Lord. So our first takeaway tonight, not tonight, this morning, is to be set apart unto God. We are to be set apart unto God. When Nazarites abstain from wine or drink, this is, again, this is self-denial, the dying to self part of the vow. We live in a culture that teaches us to love ourselves and to do whatever we want to do. Whatever pleases you. You do you. You have it your way. You know, again, we, we live in this culture that, that reinforces this. You're out for yourself. In fact, I would even say this, that, that we, the culture begins to enforce certain aspects of life that we would do that that are self-sacrificial, but just for self, not for others, right? Like exercise, like we go out just to better ourselves, or we, the way we eat, or the things that we give up for ourselves, but not for other people. And again, again, that's not necessarily long. We are first to die to self by loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then loving our neighbors as ourselves. We can't properly love ourselves without the love of Christ burning within our hearts. Otherwise, our love can be impure, twisted, manipulated, prideful, or for self-gain. You see, Scripture tells us that if we're going to follow Christ, we must pick up our cross and die to self. We must deny ourselves. 
We must die to self. It's important for us. And we can't do this. It must come from a place of love. Are you following me? To die to ourselves, to, 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 to live this way, set apart to God and deny self, is, it's got to come from this place of love and passion for the things of God. It can't be done begrudgingly. It can't be done with a bad attitude or angrily. It, it has to be done from a place of love because the world is watching. The world is watching you. Is your heart burning for love for Christ that it's actually an honor because he gave up everything for you because he laid down his life on the cross for you to rescue you? Okay, does he not, is he not worthy? Is he not worthy of our life? To giving up a few of these worldly pleasures for what we're going to attain. For what's before us in eternal life. One day we will be with him. We will see the fullness of his glory. We will be without sickness, without pain, without sadness. Come on, there is something worth it. To lay down a little bit of the worldly pleasures in this day. Would there be a generation that would wake wake up? Wake up and say, I'm done. I don't need to listen to this garbage. I don't need to watch this garbage because it clouds my mind and it makes me unfit for prayer. The greatest weapon of the church is prayer. And we fail to get there. Because we're so clouded. Our minds are so clouded with with the things of this world. So clouded with the things of this world. We we want everything. We I have the right to do anything. First, First Corinthians 10, 23. I have the right to do anything. You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Like, I think we fight to be able, we, we fight for our rights. We fight for our rights. I should be able to listen to this music, even though it has a, a terrible message. And it creates a desire for sensuality. I should be able to watch this movie. But, but when I watch this movie, I come into agreement with the demonic forces that are behind it. And we don't realize how that's clouding our minds and how it's clouding our, our ability to get before God. We're so easily pleased by the things of this world when there is a greater, greater um, presence of the Lord that, that awaits us. I don't think we just have to wait for heaven. Jesus says this, now this is, I said this last night, John 17, 3, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God of Jesus Christ that you sent. This is eternal life, that they may know you, to personally, intimately interact with, with him. That's a part of eternal life. That's something we experience now. But are we too busy and too clouded to have that kind of intimacy with Jesus? We're so easily pleased with other things, so easily distracted. Listen, I, I, I want to throw something out to you as, as this. Listen, this is a type of fast, right? He's fasting, not touching these grapes. Not touching anything that comes from the vine. It's, a, it's really a type of fast. And are we willing to fast? Fasting is one of the greatest gifts that you can ever have. Here's why. Because fasting teaches you to die to self. Fasting food. I know there's a whole a bunch of different fasts, and we like to fast media, and we like to do all that, and that's, that's good. But you need to fast food. And here's why. Food is essential. I was, I was fasting, and, and, and let me just tell you something. When you, when you get married and have children... And they're little. It is hard to fast. Because they're just throwing away tons of food. And you're just like. <laughs> I remember one night. My wife. And I'm Italian. My wife's Italian. You guys heard the story. And uh, she's, she actually doesn't like pasta. So every once in a while. She makes pasta. And I'm so happy. 
And here I am fasting, and she makes tortellini. With a nice, rich cream sauce. Can't taste it now? She makes tortellini, and I'm fasting. And I'm thinking, you never make pasta. And you're going to make it now? And so here we are, my kids. They, my kids are the, the pickiest eaters. And so dinner's over, and I, and I have dish duty. I'm dish duty. And, uh, and I'm... I'm standing over the toilet, uh, over the toilet, over the, <laughs> I'm standing over the, um, the, the trash can, the trash can, and I'm scraping tortellini off into the trash can, and I have this moment where I'm like, nobody's looking, I'm going to grab it, and I, I was so close to eating this tortellini, and I heard the Holy Spirit say this, if you can give up essential pleasures, then you'll be able to give up non-essential And I knew that was a lesson for all of us in that moment. If you can, if you can deny your flesh the thing that it needs to survive, then you can deny your flesh the things it doesn't need to survive. Fasting is a gift that's been given to us. Jesus says, when you fast, not if. Friends, we need, to, we need to make this a discipline of our life. Let's be honest this morning. We're all creatures of pleasure. And because we're creatures of pleasure, it seems wrong to give, our, give up pleasure. Because the world tells us so. But we're not to live under what the world tells us. We're to live under what God has said and declared Will you refuse to conform and to embrace disobedience for pleasure? We want to see an awakening, awakening happen on our campus. You want to see the thousands of students come? Then there needs to be a generation that refuses, dis, refuses to be disobedient for the sake of pleasure. We've got to be set apart unto God. And being set apart unto God is that we live our life in obedience to Him. Where are we? Are we able to embrace obedience and self-denial, even if it requires dying to worldly pleasures in the present? Samuel and John the Baptist, these guys embraced this calling on their life. For their life. Not for a period of time, but for their life. And we saw in our earlier sermon that on Samuel's life, he didn't just deny himself pleasure for that, for, to deny himself pleasure's sake. He spent time with the higher pleasures of seeking God. Ministering to God, serving others. We don't just deny self to deny self. We deny self for the greater call of loving God more. Let me just tell you, I'm so... You know, I, I think this generation, we're so scared of being labeled, labeled legalistic that we forfeit holiness. I don't want to be seen as legalistic, so I'll watch this movie and I'll listen to this music. It won't really impact me, but really it's clouding your mind. Because yeah. you just don't want to be seen as legalistic. No, let me just tell you something right now. You cannot be legalistic and holy at the same time. They don't co coincide. Holiness... Is, is something that is otherly, right? There's people all over the world that are legalistic. 
that I do things out of my conviction for God, not just not to do them. I let go of something, regardless of whether it's sinful or not, for the sake of picking something greater up. I want to see this happen in our generation, amen? Amen. What might be clouding your mind and making you unfit for prayer and for the work of the Lord? Perhaps it's video games, movies, the music you listen to, sporting events, social media, alcohol, your smartphones, your relationship, your dating relationship. What is making you unfit for prayer? We have so many distractions in this world. Let me just share this one story. We'll move on to our next point. At Virginia Tech, we do this summer uh, service opportunity where they go and they spend a month at this retreat center and they they do all this work to bless this couple that has just been pouring into us um, and just has loved us dearly. But the the requirement for this month-long service project is that you only have two hours access to the internet and your phone. They get two hours every Sunday where they're able to use their internet and, the, and their phone. And every time students go and do this, this is what they tell them. I've never heard God more clearly. And the only thing that they laid down was access to all the noise through internet and their phone. And all of a sudden, God's voice is heard. Why? Because they're not clouded anymore. See, one of the things that I also think that clouds us is that we start seeing all these images flash, you know, through Instagram and Snapchat and all these things that people are posting, and they're always the good things. And all of a sudden, you find yourself craving to be like that. When it's not even real life. It's just their best moment of the day. What if we just put that stuff down? Last Wednesday, I said, man, we need to start a revolution. It's called the flip phone re- revolution. <laughs> you're like, wait, I can't live without my smartphone. And the reason being is because what would happen if you weren't distracted by your phone? What would, what would, prayer, what would your prayer life look like if, if you didn't have to check every little ding and, and bing on your phone that happens from every social media app that you have? What could happen? Where could we be? Listen, God is looking for a holy generation in his return. I want to be ready for his return, but I also want to be prepared. I also want, I also want to be the opening act and live my life in such a way that people are excited and prepared and aware that there is a king that's coming back. My second point is, and last point, we need to be set apart from the world. See, Samuel and John the Baptist were different. They didn't conform to their culture. Their untouched hair, which is especially mentioned, was a public protest that the consecrated one had determined to refrain from intercourse with the world and to devote their whole strength and fullness of life to the Lord's work. We need some Nazarites that are going to give all of their strength and all of their life to the Lord's work. 
Think about John the Baptist. You know, when you read about John the Baptist, it says, you guys know what he wore? Camel's hair? Like he wore these, you know, he wore, he wore camel's hair. And he ate locusts and honey. Listen, no one dressed like John the Baptist in his day. <laughs> and no one had his diet. He was just odd. He was just odd. He was not flashy. He was not attractional. He, he stuck out from his culture. He was definitely a different guy. When he walked down the street, when he came into town, people saw this guy is different. He wasn't concerned about fitting in. He wasn't concerned about blending into the culture. He was set apart from the world. He was in it, but not of it. And to be honest, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that the church universal flirts with the line of being more concerned about being relevant than being holy. We need a generation that will not compromise. Will not compromise. That we will be different. And here's the thing. I, I think we're concerned. Like we've got to help Jesus look good. I'll just be honest with you. I don't think when I read the life of Jesus, he was concerned about looking good. So why are we so caught up in this? Can I be honest with you? I think the Spirit of the Lord is, a, is attractional. But the Spirit of the Lord is something that people, actually, when they get in the presence of God, that can change people's life. Love is attractional. Forgiveness is attractional. Grace is attractional. And let me tell you something. These things will never go out of style. Styles come and go. Right? Styles come and go. But the grace of God will never come and go. The love of God, unconditional love, will never go out of style. It will never fade. People long for that. People long for that in a broken world. It's amazing to see, I believe John embodied that, but nobody embodied that more than Jesus. Amen? He was, Jesus was radical. Jesus was set apart. Jesus wasn't concerned about trying to fit in. Why are we so concerned about trying to fit in? Lord, help us. John was radically different than anybody else in his time, and I'm sure people thought he was weird and that he was different, but he was secure in that reality in his calling. To be set apart from the world, you need to be secure in this calling, in this relationship with Jesus. Man, you are kids of the King. You are kids of the King. Besides Samuel's long hair, Samuel stood apart from the people of Israel because he was obedient to God. He was obedient to God when nobody else was. When, when the priests, when his brothers, his evil brothers were sexually immoral and robbing God of, of things, when there was nobody that was, was really, there was a small remnant of people living for God, he wasn't concerned about fitting in or pleasing anybody but God. And even when, when Israel's like, give us a king, and Samuel's like, I don't agree with this God, and God says, you need to do this, just do this, trust me, and, and Samuel's like, okay, I'm going to obey God, even though I don't really want to do this. 
Come on, what, what would happen if there was a generation that was obedient with God even though it was difficult? What would happen if there was a generation that just said, obedience, I'm coming, I'm all in. Whatever you want me to do, whether it costs me my life or not, because it costs you everything, why not me? Samuel, 1 Samuel 12, 1 through 5, said, Samuel said to Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me, and I have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I am old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. You have not cheated or oppressed us, they said. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. Samuel said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and also his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness. Samuel was a man of integrity. Samuel was set apart. He was obedient unto God. He refused to compromise, even when everybody else that was around him, even the people that he was under, were, were compromising in many ways. Samuel grew up in this place where compromise was normal, and he refused. Listen, we live in a place. You can't look to the people that are serving in the temple or serving next to you and saying, well, they do this. And justify your actions by humanity. We must look to God. He is the one who is holy. He is the one is our example. Not anybody else. You can't get to heaven and say, well, you know, God, I was running alongside this person and they loved you too, but they were sexually immoral, so I thought that was okay. We've got to see and look to Jesus as our standard, not anybody else. And that drives us and helps us in the process of who you are behind closed doors. Who you are when nobody else is looking. Because there is one. And there's always an audience of one. How are we living our life? Stop trying to hide. What I love about this is Samuel was so different. John the Baptist was so different. That they were outwardly seen. Why? Because their hair was an outward picture of the commitment they made to God on the inside. They were at least... See, I, li- I think we also live in a generation that where we tried to hide the reality of our love for the Lord. We, we mask it. We're not fully out there. We're not fully out there. Do people know that you're a lover of Jesus first and foremost? Does your roommate know? Does your hallmates know? Do your classmates know? Does your professor know? There's one that you live for. In campus ministry, I've seen this over and over again. When people try to live this life where their, their, their Christian faith is kind of like hidden, we keep our little kayapa bubble over here, and nobody knows in our dorm that we love Jesus and we're committed to him, what I find is that by the time their senior year rolls around, they're no longer a part of our community. You know why? Because they've tried, to, they've tried to hide the reality that they're a believer. And they, they wind up conforming and getting caught in the current of the culture and they got swept away. You know, when, when you're in your dorm Thursday night and people are going out and saying, Hey, why don't you come out partying with us? 
It's one thing to just, you know, eventually say, no, that's okay, I'm okay, for, I'm good for now. And then eventually what happens is they wear you down. But if you were to say to them, no thanks, I don't, I don't do that. I, I just, I don't believe in, in that kind of activity. I want to, I wanna, you know, I love Jesus and I just don't believe I was created for that. When all of a sudden you say that, guess what happens? Their invitations stop. Some of you need their invitations to stop because you can't handle saying no any longer. You need to be set apart. Stop trying to pretend you're, some, you're something else. Be real and authentically the man and woman of God that you are. Secondly, oh, let me just say this. You guys know the early Christians, before they were known as Christians, were called people of the way, right? Do you know why? Because the way they lived was so otherly. It was so it was so different. Do people notice that about us? Are you set apart or are you flirting with the world? Are you okay to be obedient? And give up the pleasures of this world for the sake of picking up something far greater. The sec- the, the other part of the vow was that they were avoid contact with the dead. Isn't it interesting? That, that was deemed to be unclean. If they touched the dead, they would be considered unclean. And so this, this part of the vow was a perpetual outward protest that the vower of the solemn vow renounced all moral defilement, that he gave up everything which could stain or soil the life consecrated to God's service. Let me say that again. They would give up everything that could that had the potential to stain or soil. Stain or soil. The potential that they gave up everything that could do this. Whoa, come on. Man, where would, where would we be if there was a generation that refused to come near the things that could stain or soil the work of the Lord in their life? Come on. Come on. Numbers 5 said, The Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites to send away from the camp anyone who has a defiling skin disease or discharge of any kind or who is ceremonially unclean because of a dead body. Send away male and female alike. Send them outside the camp so that they will not defile their camp where I dwell among them. So here's the deal. They touched a dead body. They had to go outside the camp because they were ceremonially unclean. Where God dwelt. So if you were a Nazarite and you're committed to the work of the Lord and you're committed to serve the Lord, you don't want to defile yourself by touching a dead body and then have to be outside the camp. The camp was the camp is where God dwelt. So why would you want to be outside the camp when you're supposed to be closer and drawing near to God in the consecration, right? So you would forego that. Think about that. What are the things? There's things that Jesus died for. There's our sin put him. He had to die because our sin needed to be paid for. Are, Are you following me? So why would we play around with sin? that defiles us and hinders our relationship with God. Praise God for grace, amen? Amen. 
Amen? I'm not saying that we are to, to be sinless, but we should not live a, a life that has habitual sin in it. That's not what it looks like to follow God. That's not what it looks like to be the, the, the opening act for Christ's return. There is freedom and power in the cross. And we are to turn from that. And we are to walk into and towards the things of God. The old life is behind us. Are we pressing forward and moving on? That we would make this kind of vow. Could you imagine if we were desperate and hungry enough for God that we would run away from everything that had the potential to soil us or defile us into God's presence? Everything that, that put Jesus on the cross, we would run away from. What would happen if there were some Josephs in the room that when things are thrown at them, they flee? This is getting rid of your iPhone. Because you look at pornography on it. Is it worth having the iPhone to keep going back and 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 back? It's not worth it, friends. These are just little practical things that we need to start doing. It's not worth having an iPhone if you can't keep off the pornography. Or let's just be honest. Let's go. Let's go one step further, man. If you covet every little picture you see because of this relationship and this life and that, and you you feel yourself drawn and coveting these things, and not valuing your own life, then you need to get rid of it. This is breaking up with the one that you're being sexually immoral with. It's not worth it. Plus, you're more valuable than that. You're worth the weight. Come on, this is refusing to put evil things before our eyes. What are you watching? What demonic shows are we watching and coming into agreement with? I can't, can I just be honest with you? And this is just me. I can't stand where I hear students talk about Game of Thrones. As if it's just innocent. Things wicked. This is giving up alcohol completely. Because it's an idol in our, in our culture. And you better believe it. People worship the bottle on your campuses. You want to be set apart? Then we forego that. Because it, it, I look no different. Nobody, nobody walks into a party, sees you holding a solo cup and says, no, they're just drinking in moderation. <laughs> oh, I, I think it's so interesting that they would stay away from the dead body also because the wages of sin is death the very thing that would make them unclean they were they were refusing to come near. Even if it was their mother, their father, their brother, or their sister, they were told not to go near it. Because they didn't want to be unfit for the Lord. Sin separates us from God. Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil who has been sinning from the beginning. 1 John 3, 8, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. 
just like a Nazarite would not touch a dead body because it would make him unclean. May we not fool around with sin. Listen, I lived a life before I came to know Christ. I grew up in the church, but I didn't know God personally. But I still, I still had a knowledge of God. And I would live this life that, is, that, that had this knowledge of God, didn't know God personally, and so I knew the consequences. I knew people that didn't know God would go to hell, and I, and I believed in that, and, and that people that did know God would go to heaven. Right? I, I knew that reality. And here I am, being sexually immoral, and I remember multiple times in my college years, praying in the middle of, of the act, saying, God, just don't come back now. So I can have my pleasure. Because that's how wicked I was. So willing to, to compromise, so willing to live for pleasure, because I was unaware of the greater pleasure of God's presence. I hope and pray that some of you encountered His presence last night in a greater way. And I hope that it ruins you for anything else. I'm desperate to see the Lord's return, and I'm waiting for a generation that will get serious about living set apart and stop compromising. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Man, what is it that's clouding your mind? What is it that is keeping you? Man, I want to see Jesus receive the reward of his suffering. I want to see it. I want to see people redeemed. I want to see a generation that will say, I'm done. I don't care what people think of me because I want to live for Jesus and Jesus alone. I don't care what people think. I don't care if I look like anybody else. I don't care. I don't care if people think I spend too much time in prayer. I don't care if people think I read the Bible too much. I don't care if people think I talk about Jesus too much. I don't care. What would happen if just one of you would say yes to that kind of life on your campus? I could have Jackie come back. Are you willing to become the opening act for Jesus' return? warm people up for the one who's coming is holy and just and righteous are you living a life that would get people excited because they realize there's a freedom and a joy and a peace that comes from being set apart from the world close, I just, I just think, man, before we head back to campus, is there anybody that would say yes? That would say yes, I want to live my life set apart unto God. I want to be more obedient to Him. That I would forego pleasures for obedience. 
There's certain people in this room right now that you've embraced certain aspects. You've given a lot of your life over, but there's certain pleasures that you're holding on to and you don't want to let go. Listen, Jesus is worthy and you need to lay that thing on the altar today and say, God, I'm giving this up so that I can be set apart unto you. There's others of us in this room that just need to put something down that's not necessarily sinful, but you spend far too much time playing video games. You spend far too much time doing this and this, and it begins to cloud your mind. And let me just give you an example. I mean, I think, I think the reality of it is, is if you're playing video games where you're killing people, all of a sudden, you know what? There's, there's an aspect of that that can start to cloud your mind. You, it, we, we think it's just fun and games, but the reality of it, there's always a message behind something. There's always something that stands behind it. And I think we need to start asking ourselves, and, and that's how you look set apart. That's how you become an opening act for Jesus' return, is that you're willing to ask the right questions about the right things. Does this benefit my walk with Jesus? Does this draw me closer to Jesus? Does this get me excited about Jesus? Does this begin to, to cloud my heart and make me feel less wanting to draw near to Jesus? Then I need to put it down. Listen, he didn't die on a cross and rise three days later for you to have a couple of great moments a week. For you to have a little encounter on whatever night your Kayafa meets. For you to have a little bit of a feeling good about yourself from your life group or your core or your D group, whatever that looks like. He died on a cross to set you free and he died on a cross to pay for our life. He wants you. He wants heaven with you. But there is so much more and I don't want to settle for less. And so today, before you head back to your campus, if you would say, I, I want, there's some changes that need to be made in my life. I want to be set apart. I want to lay some things down. I'm going to invite you to the altar to just come. Come and lay it down. Come and lay it down. Come now. If you're coming, come now. Thank you, Jesus. God, I just pray God right now.